For this Easter Sunday, we're going to be reading from uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, uh, although we're going to focus on verses 29 through 31 uh, for the sermon itself. So John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. This is the gospel of our Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you ever tried to explain something completely ineffable? You know, in the Christmas season of 2014, I sang a beautiful piece of music with my choir. It's by the composer Craig Courtney, and it's called While Shepherds Watched Their Flocks, and there's this beautiful musical climax partway through. It's a really powerful moment for the angels tell the shepherds about the sign that the Christ has been born. And so the choir moves into this gorgeous eight-part F-sharp major nine slash A-sharp chord. I bet you can hear it as I describe it to you. Do you find it as moving as I did when I sang it five years ago? Well, perhaps not. See, I can tell you everything I know about text painting, about contrapuntal motion, about extended chords and slash chords, but if I describe it only in words, I'll never give you the same thrill that I get. Another example is many of you listening to this were here in Oregon for that total solar eclipse that we had in August 2017, and probably all of us read about what to expect would happen shadows becoming sharper than usual. You feel the air cool down and even become clammy. You see some animals act as though nighttime is approaching. But you, it's impossible to understand the experience unless you're there to experience it. And you might have even tried to explain it to relatives or friends who live far away, but you know it's impossible. We've all been on one side or another of this dilemma. How do you share an experience with someone who has never experienced it for themselves? And so I think we all can understand at least a little bit where Thomas was coming from. Have you ever seen a dead man rise from the dead? Thomas had probably seen it done a few times, but it was always Jesus himself who raised the person to life whether Lazarus or Jairus' daughter or the widow's son. But now the miracle worker himself lay dead. 
Our greatest enemy had caught up to him at last, and there's no miracle worker to raise the miracle worker. For a dead man, no matter how many people he raised to life, he can't raise himself to life. He's dead. And so it's understandable why Thomas did not believe without seeing the evidence before his eyes. And to be fair, the other disciples did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead either, and they only believed when they saw it with their two eyes. And so it is with us. Probably at one time or another, you thought it would at least be a lot easier to believe if you could just see Jesus. I've certainly felt that way from time to time. But that's one of the things I love about the gospel, for God justifies us through faith, not by sight. Even if your faith is weak, even if your faith could be stronger one way or another, if you have faith in Christ, that's enough for you to be saved. And so this Easter Sunday, let's consider two key themes of this passage. First, that God blesses the faithful apart from seeing Jesus in his resurrection body. And second, we'll look at some of the ways that he blesses us through his resurrection. So first, the blessings we get without even seeing Jesus. It's not really fair to Thomas to single him out as doubting Thomas because he didn't believe in the resurrection without seeing Jesus in the flesh. For none of the other disciples, apart from Jesus' beloved disciple, believed in his resurrection until they saw him either. But all the first disciples did believe when they saw his resurrection. But after Thomas replies, my Lord and my God, Jesus tells us all something very important. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, not very many people have ever seen Jesus face to face since his resurrection. The Bible only records a a few hundred people who did. And yet John reassures us that seeing Jesus alive again isn't the point. Believing in him is the point. And I think that's one of the most remarkable things about God's plan of salvation. It's so unlike the way we would choose to do things by the world standards. God is able to do his work in your life even though you haven't seen Jesus alive again with your own eyes. You know, we don't expect anybody in this world to do anything if they can't see the proof. But God works through his word to bring about an incredible change in you. That's why John recorded the signs that he did. And Jesus' resurrection is the sign to top all his other signs. And the Holy Spirit works through this testimony to persuade you that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. And through this persuasion, he makes you alive again. We often think that our faith would be stronger or enhanced somehow if we could simply see Jesus. It would be easier to tell people the good news if I could conclude a message saying, oh, and Jesus' calendar says he's going to be here in Corvallis next week. Would you like to meet him? And yet in God's wisdom, that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to empower his ministry. And Jesus says in John sixteen seven that the Holy Spirit 
will not come to be upon the church unless he goes away. And so now the Holy Spirit is upon his church to empower the testimony of the gospel. In God's wisdom, gospel proclamation is effective completely apart from the presence of Jesus physically in the world. And so think about some of the things that have happened in the life of the church among people who have never seen Jesus. We'll start in the Bible with Philip the Evangelist. Uh, We don't know for certain, but given his Greek name, it's quite likely that he was not among the band of Jesus' disciples and did not see him after his resurrection. And yet Philip goes on to powerfully proclaim the gospel in Samaria to the Ethiopian eunuch and later everywhere from Ashdod to Caesarea. And so without ever, without Philip ever seeing the resurrected Christ, untold numbers of people believed in Jesus through his testimony. Or look to earlier church history. You think of Athanasius, the bishop of Alexandria. During the 4th century, he went toe-to-toe with four emperors. He was sent into exile five times. And yet his unwavering commitment to the Christ that he found in Scripture led him to refute false doctrine and defend the truth that Jesus is truly God. Or you think of Augustine, whose contributions to theology include what we think of now as the doctrine of original sin, and who wrote this magnificent autobiography, The Confessions, showing how God worked through his word to call a wayward Augustine to faith in Jesus Christ. Or in more recent times, you think of André Trocmé. He was a Protestant pastor in southern France in the village of Le Chambon-sur-Lignon. Well, during World War II, his faith in Christ and his observations of World War I inspired him to lead his village to save the lives of more than 3,500 Jews. Refugees were welcomed to the village at the railroad station. Children were enrolled in school and local families welcomed refugees into their homes. And even when the Gestapo came to the village themselves to search for the Jews, the village found creative ways to hide them. And Andre, even after he was arrested and released, he simply continued his efforts and just took a little more precaution to keep it secret. So you see that God is able to do great things through the faith of people who have never once seen Jesus raised from the dead. But the beautiful thing is that you don't even have to do the sort of great things I've just named in order to prove this faith. For faith is truly all that's needed. And God will do the greatest thing of all. He will transform your life and he will save you. As Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so by his power, God is able to make faith bear its fruit in your life, even without seeing Jesus face to face. And God is able to give you blessing in a life like Christ's resurrection life. For John writes that by believing you may have life in his name. For by faith, God unites you to Christ 
And he makes everything that's true of Jesus true of you too. And so, for example, Paul writes that he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that phrase, in him, references our union with Christ. And here Paul teaches us that by union with Christ, his righteousness is applied to us. And Jesus' resurrection conveys several particular blessings to us as God gives us life. Now, I'm sure it's possible to come up with many more, but I want to name five blessings that come to us through Jesus' resurrection. First, Jesus' resurrection is crucial to our justification. Now, justification is simply a fancy way to say that we are declared just or innocent before God. Paul writes in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was raised for our justification. This resurrection demonstrates the Father's acceptance of Jesus' atoning work. It shows that the penalty Christ paid for our sins is adequate to meet our need for God to accept us and forgive us our sins. We often think of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross as the key ingredient for our justification, but Paul tells us that it's impossible for us to be justified without the resurrection too. Second, Jesus' resurrection makes possible our regeneration. For Peter writes that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Every one of us is spiritually dead in our sins. You aren't able to seek after God in your natural state. You can't know the peace that you have in Christ. You can't enjoy the spiritual vitality that is possible in Christ. You can't know the joy of spiritual life without the resurrection. One of the things I love about the Jesus Storybook Bible is how it presents God as joyful and good-humored. And we should think of God this way, for Paul says that he is the blessed and only sovereign. Now, of course, God can be severe, but blessedness refers to this complete joy that God has in himself. And so I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones reports Jesus' appearance to his disciples. He says, I'm hungry. What's for lunch? Peter gave him a fish. They all hung back and watched him eat it. This can't be, they were telling themselves. It's impossible. It's not happening. But it was right in front of them. Delicious. Jesus wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and grinned. Can a ghost do that? He winked. And then they all laughed. I'm really here, Jesus said. And he really was. Sally, Sally's telling of the story, it embellishes the biblical text a little bit, but I think she's right about this, that spiritual vitality, spiritual life is joyful. It's even playful. And that's a joy that you can't access without having that new spiritual life, the spiritual life that we gain in Christ's resurrection. Third, we walk in newness of life. Now, of course, this is related to regeneration, but it emphasizes that we don't get raised up to the same sort of life that we had before. We are transformed. As Paul writes in Romans 6, 4 and 7, 4, we are buried with Christ and we are raised with him to walk in a life that bears fruit for God. We are changed completely. For before we had no ability to do what's right before God, we were fruitless. But Christ's resurrection won for us a new life. 
We are able to show other people the love of Christ. We can proclaim the gospel and bring new believers to faith in him. We can pray faithfully and God will work through our prayers. We can grow in faith and righteousness through our lives. And we can do the things that please God. Fourth, we have access to the heavenly holy places. For Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 6 that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So united to Christ in his resurrection, we're invited into the heavenly throne room. Hebrews describes us as having access to God the Father through Christ. Jesus has this access on his own merit. He made himself qualified by his sacrifice and resurrection. But he invites you in. In Christ, you have VIP access to the throne room. And every time we pray, we spiritually enter into the throne room to offer our praise to God and make our requests known to him. And fifth, we have in Christ's resurrection a picture of our own resurrection life. Everything that he's experienced since his resurrection is going to be experienced by us too. As Philippians 3.20 says, The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All the glory and joy that Jesus experiences in his resurrected body and in the presence of the Father will be ours one day too. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, With the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so picture the life of Christ now sitting in the throne room of God. He enjoys bodily wholeness, just as you will. He enjoys perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, just as you will enjoy perfect fellowship with the triune God and with one another. There will be never-ending joy for all of us on the basis of Jesus' resurrection. And we already begin to experience the benefits of all these blessings. We experience peace with God, even though we sometimes mess up. We have the joy of new life and we grow in bearing fruit. We spiritually enter the heavenly throne room when we pray. We have the hope of the resurrection alive in us. And the incredible thing is that we have all these things now by faith. It's only a shadow. It's only a little taste of what it's going to be when we see Jesus face to face. But now, even without seeing him face to face, we do experience these blessings. And one day we will indeed see our Savior face to face. We will experience all the blessings of the resurrection in fullness, in life with him, forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we have the promise of the resurrection to look forward to. That by Jesus' own resurrection, you give us a picture of what it's going to be like. And you prove to us that you can do it. You prove to us that you can raise the dead.
And so, Father, I pray that you would give us this hope to be in our hearts always. That you would remind us that we are looking forward to blessings that we can't even conceive of in this life. That we have just a little taste of it now, but we're really looking not for things in this life, but in the life to come. And so, Father, we pray that we would live in light of this resurrection, that we would live in confidence that you are able to do it. Teach us never to be afraid. We pray, Father, for all the blessing that we can have in life with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Christ is risen.